book is so awesome. I can do anything. This book is so awesome. I am the potions king. Did you hear that half book prince? I said I was the king. Can you hear me, Professor Snape? I can make anything. This book is so awesome. Hi guys, this is Joel. As I mentioned at the end of the last episode of Potter and Daughter, Our conversation about the end of book three, The Prisoner of Azkaban, ran about two hours, and so I decided to split that up into two episodes. What we're going to do now is jump right back in where we left off at the end of the previous episode uh, and learn a lot about uh, my thoughts on time travel and uh, how they affect this story and other stories and the actual world that we live in. Uh, and and go on several tangents about that with Lily. That's probably why this episode or this recording ran so long. So here we go. Uh, our final episode for Harry Potter book three, The Prisoner of Azkaban. Let's do it. Chapter 19, The Servant of Lord Voldemort. Uh, Snape, Snape found the cloak at the base of the Whomping Willow. They lost it during the fight with... Uh, I guess the dog at that point, he accuses Lupin of aiding black in his escape and his attempted murder of Harry. And he ties him up with some cords, some ropes that are hanging around. uh, And he commands all of them, all the kids to leave, go back to Hogwarts. Harry, uh, Harry's like, no way, man. Harry, Ron and Hermione uh, all disarm him with an Expelliarmus. And what happens to Snape? He's, um, he, Gets blown back to um to the corner of a, of the room and knocked out. Right, he's completely unconscious. Yeah, I think he knocked into a, like an old bed or something. Yeah, so he's out. He doesn't know what happens after this. Uh, Black recognized Scabbers as Peter Pettigrew when he saw the Weasleys' photo from their trip to Egypt in the Daily Prophet. You know, we yes. saw the missing toe. Yeah, so I guess um, even if you're in prison, you still get to read the news. Well, this is interesting because his experience in prison uh, is odd. I don't think he was supposed to see that paper. I don't think he was supposed to see anything. Um, but he realized, he's, he admits that Crookshanks has been helping him to find and capture Scabbers. So the whole time that Crookshanks has been trying to murder that rat, He's been getting orders from the, Sirius Black. Yes, yeah, so basically Crookshanks is sort of... What kind of cat is Crookshanks that he can like communicate with? Uh, maybe it's because he's an animagus. Maybe when he's in animal form, they can talk to each other. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, he's, he's been aiding Sirius Black. Uh, according to Lupin and Black, Pettigrew was the betrayer of the Potters. Also, um, is it- I just wanted to mention this because this is really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, Pettigrew has been um, a rat for so long that once he turns back into a human, he's still half a rat. He looks sort of ratty at that point. Yeah, he's got sort of rat teeth and... Uh, sort of rat claws. And, yeah, he's kind of gross. Yeah. I mean, now, is that in the book? or I know it's in the movie. It's definitely in the movie. Right, but it's in the book too? I think it is. I don't remember. I know that they make him look pretty ratty, at least for effect in the movie. Um, so anyway, he says that at the last moment, he was supposed to be the secret keeper who knew the location of James and Lily. And at the last second, he switched it 
to Pettigrew because he assumed nobody would think a sort of unassuming, weak, not powerful wizard would be given such an important task, right? Mm -hmm. Little did he know that Pettigrew was happily a servant of Lord Voldemort and gave up the information that night. So, like, they were only in hiding for, what, like a day or a week or... Something like that. Uh, so that was the worst decision he'd ever made. And in fact, uh, the ironic aspect of this is that Harry has blamed Sirius for his parents' death. Sirius is responsible for his parents' death. Had Sir- In a way, had Sirius been the secret keeper... The whole time. They may still be alive. But by allowing Pettigrew to be the secret keeper, by underestimating Pettigrew, uh, that led directly to the events that caused James and Lily's death. So he's not without blame, and I'm sure he feels very guilty for what he's done, right? Mm-hmm. So do you remember how Sirius escaped from, from Azkaban, how he kept his powers? Because um, I think that um, either his mother or his wife was about to die. So um, since the Dementors can't really see, they sort of just switched out with each other. I don't remember that part at all. I think that's it. Oh, you mean they put somebody else in his cell? Yes. Okay, I don't remember that. What I do know is that... The reason he was able to maintain his powers, because the Dementor's job is to suck all the happiness out of you, is that he knew that he was actually innocent. And this wasn't actually a happy thought. It was it made him mad. So it was an unhappy thought. But that meant the Dementors couldn't suck it out of him. And that allowed him to retain his identity and not become this sort of soulless husk uh, zombie that they'd sucked all the <laughs> life out of. It also allowed him to keep some of his power. And so when he saw that newspaper, however he saw it, uh, then he, no one knew he was an animagus. And so he turned into a dog and that let him escape. I, I kind of sort of remember what you're saying about replacing him with somebody else, but I don't remember the details of that. Uh, but it was, it was the memory of being innocent that allowed him to not, just be a, a husk that they could, you know. He was sort of innocent. Well, he is innocent of the crime of murdering anyone. Yeah, he didn't. And that's why he was in jail. He was not in jail for being a bad secret keeper. He was in jail for killing 13 muggles and Peter Pettigrew. But he didn't, so. Yeah, he didn't do anything. His He was completely innocent of those crimes. Uh, so Lupin and Black decide to kill Pettigrew. Um, he also mentions that it, the Dementors can't sense animals as well as they can sense people because they don't care about sucking the life out of animals. So they want to kill Pettigrew, but what does Harry have to say about that? Um, he's like, no, don't kill him. Um, and before he can finish his sentence, um, Lupin is like, Lupin is like, just let the grownups deal with this, Harry. Um, but He's like, no, wait a second. We'll take him to the castle. We'll lock him in the dungeon, and then the Dementors can have you. Yeah, and he also wants to. Uh, yeah, he uh, see in a way he wants to spare his life, but only so he can be tormented and tortured by the Dementors. So <laughs> it's it's yeah, but sort it's, of confusing. It's one and uh, and also earlier when Harry thinks he's going to kill Black, but he can't do it. 
it shows, and we'll see this over and over again with Harry and with other characters put in this position, that the anger and the rage they feel at someone who's done something horrible makes them think, I, I want to kill this person. But then they actually have their weapon and it's time to do it and they can't do it because wanting someone to be dead is very different than causing someone to be dead. And none of, you know, especially for a child, uh, he, he finds that it's not that he's weak. It's that he's too compassionate, you know, that he, he is too human, uh, to just murder people like Voldemort does. Yeah. He doesn't want to be like, okay, I'm going to kill this person right now. He wants to be like, okay, let's just give this some time and then somebody else can kill you. Basically. Um, it's just that he's got, he, he, he doesn't have it within him to be a murderer. And that is what ultimately separates him from Voldemort is that Voldemort, uh, he just wants to kill people like that. It's not that he wants to, it's that he can. And he does. It, it doesn't affect him in the way it would affect somebody with a conscience. So chapter 20, The Dementor's Kiss. We've explained what that is before. Are there like 23 chapters in this or something? 22. Oh. So we're just about heading towards the end here. But this is where everything starts to happen. The book takes a whole different direction. Like, boom. Uh, Harry Lupin, uh, Sirius Black, Ron, Hermione, and they've now animated Snape like a puppet because uh, he's... He's still knocked out and they've chained up Peter Pettigrew. They leave the, the shrieking shack and head out towards the castle. Uh, Sirius makes a proposition to Harry. Harry knows now that Sirius isn't evil. What does he tell Harry? What offer does he make to him? He says that you can come live with me. Cause he's just, he's still his godfather, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. What does Harry think about he this? He always has been. He thinks it'll be, Pretty cool. <laughs> he's he's ecstatic. The idea of living with a wizard and not only a wizard, but someone who actually likes him. Well, just doesn't yeah. hate him. I mean, he he would probably live with anyone. I mean, they don't do this because it would make the books not as good. But realistically, like Harry could have gone to live with the Weasleys, you know, and he would have been happier in their hovel of a home. Uh, with way too many kids. Well, like you said, when he's under magical protection yeah. once he's with the Dursleys. And we don't know that yet. So like I said, it's it's it makes the books better, but it does not make him happier, right? No. Um no. there there are a lot of opportunities. Harry would probably be happier if he just ran away. You know? Uh, <laughs> and but, he and he does sort of at the very beginning of this book. Yeah, but it doesn't work out because no. too many people are interested in his well-being and him not dying. So um, so they're almost back at the castle. Lupin realizes he's forgotten something incredibly important. What is it? His potion. And what happens to him at that point? He starts turning into a werewolf. Yeah, and there's nothing he can do. He, he Without his potion, he's not going to have his mind. He's just going to be a, a crazy animal. Uh, so a lot of things start to happen when Lupin starts to transform. Uh, what does Sirius do? Sirius tries to like hang on to him. He's like, like keep in mind, friend, you know who you are. But he transforms too and runs off after him, right? Yeah, he turns into his into the dog. Pettigrew is now in human form. What does he do? He 
turns back into a rat and runs off. Yeah, he's gone too. Now, this is interesting because it says uh, Pettigrew dives for Lupin's wand and uh, transforms. Uh, No, 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 sorry. He takes the wand and takes out Ron. That's right. Harry disarms him, but then Pettigrew turns into a rat. Uh, So I'm assuming, again, he did not need the wand to become a rat, but he did need a wand to knock out Ron. Uh, It does. It it is interesting that in those 13 years that he was a rat, if he did not need a wand, why he never turned back into a human and and like, you know, escaped. Yeah. And you would look much less creepy. You think if he'd spent more time as a human, he wouldn't be so ratty? Yes. So Ron's knocked out. He's unconscious. Uh, they hear Black and Lupin sort of... A bunch of, of people are unconscious in this book. That's true. They hear Black and Lupin moaning and yelling and howling uh, off towards the lake. And Harry and Hermione run in that direction, and they see what gliding towards them. The Dementors? Like a hundred. Like the same amount that was there at the uh, Quidditch match that time. So uh, Harry finally comes up with a happy enough thought to conjure a Patronus. What was the thought? Um, it was a thought about his potential future. Do you remember? No, they... It was the idea that he would get to live with Sirius. Oh. That made him so hopeful for the future, and hope is what powers a Patronus. Uh, and so he does an expecto patronum, and the Dementors are, for a moment, pushed back, right? Yeah. But then what happens? Um, it doesn't really work, and they keep on coming. Uh, yeah, and one of them gets right in his face and starts to do what? He starts um, sucking out his soul. Starts trying to do the Dementors kiss. At this point, we now know the Dementors are not there to protect they're there to sometimes kill. In, well, they're not there to protect at all. They're only there to stop Sirius Black and that they're... Harry, if Harry's in the way, they're going to take him out too. Like, whatever. Uh, I don't care who this person is. I just want to take out the evil dudes. Not even... Yeah, they don't care about good or evil. They only care about... Uh, they were charged with sucking Sirius's soul out and that's what they're going to do. And that they're monsters. They're horrible monsters. Harry gets in their way. They're going to suck his soul out too. The only reason they're at Hogwarts is to protect essentially Harry. So they obviously don't care about that aspect of what they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to be doing. It calls into question. uh, Why is the ministry of magic employing these horrific ghouls? As uh, as uh, you know, wardens of the prison. Why are they allowing them to be at Hogwarts in the first place? Again, this is our adults making bad decisions, right? Yeah, like what are the adults even thinking at all? Yeah, so you got to question the ministry. You got to question the school. You got to wonder why they're in league with these monsters. just as Harry is about to be Dementor kissed, what does he see on the other side of the lake? Um, he sees a Patronus. He sees a giant Patronus, right? And what form yeah. does it take? Um, a male deer. A stag, exactly. But 
uh, he's too close to the Dementors and he passes out just like always, right? Yeah, he thinks that's, that his, that's his father. Which we will learn in this next chapter, uh, chapter 21, Hermione's Secret. This is where they Things just start, start to get crazy. And they're just dumping information. Um, not only do they explain everything that Hermione's been up to uh, and all the secrets that have been going on for the whole year, but then just a million things happen all at once. Uh, so chapter 21, Harry regains consciousness and he hears Cornelius Fudge talking to Snape. Um, Fudge is telling Snape he's going to receive the Order of Merlin, which we know is uh, the biggest award they give a wizard uh, for his actions in apprehending Black. And uh, Snape says he makes an excuse for why Harry, Ron, and Hermione were aiding Sirius Black. Do you remember what he says? No. He says they were under the confundus charm and that they weren't acting under their own... uh, own minds. Own minds. But then he says, but they should still be handled very severely, especially Harry. Oh, come on. So he's like, it's not their fault, but you should still punish them horribly. Yeah, like they didn't. It's not even their fault that they did all that hor- horrible stuff. Which wasn't actually horrible. Yeah. And Snape knows half the story. Snape knows half the reason that he should know that Black is not a murderer, but he doesn't believe any of it. He doesn't care. Uh, Also, probably at least somewhat selfishly, he would like to see Black killed, basically. Yeah. For being cruel to him when he was a child. Uh, So that's pretty awful on Snape's part. Uh, But they're in the hospital wing. Everyone's pretty beat up. Uh, Ron's got a broken leg. Harry was, you know, knocked out by Dementors. Had probably, you know, one thirty second of his soul sucked out. Hermione was actually pretty good. Hermione's probably okay in all of this. Um, what does Madame Pomfrey tell them about Sirius Black's fate? Um, they're going to perform the kiss in a few minutes. And Harry tries to tell everybody that Black is innocent. Do yeah. they believe him? No. Nobody believes him. Uh, they probably still think he's partially under this confundus charm, right? Yeah. So Dumbledore shows up and he starts talking to Harry and Hermione in private. Dumbledore says, I believe you. But you've got no proof, and Snape's story has convinced everyone, so there's nothing we can do. What we need is more time, he says to Hermione. What does that make Hermione realize? She's like, oh, I should use my thing now. What is that thing? What? Where did she get it, and what has she been doing with it all year? It's a time turner. It lets you go back in time. Well, tell me first what it looks like. It looks like a little circle with um, a tiny hourglass in the middle. Yes. And you turn it for how many hours you want to go back in time. Yeah, like one turn means one hour, right? Yeah, three turns means three hours. Where did she get this from? She got it from McGonagall, and that's how she's getting to all her um, classes at the same time. So finally... Uh, Hermione's insane schedule and how tired she is all the time and all of this starts to make sense. But you start to immediately, at least I wonder, why was she allowed to do this? Um, And it must be that this is more common than we realize. Like, for instance, uh, Charlie, not Charlie, Percy, 
gets takes 12 classes and gets 12 newts. He does? Yes. You got to figure 12 classes, some of them just like Hermione, they've got to be at the same time. So maybe Percy had a time turner, but he was better able to manage it. Now, the interesting thing is uh, they mentioned that the Ministry of Magic has to approve a student to use a time turner. So they probably look at the student, look at their grades, look at how they handle themselves, and they decide, okay, you get the most powerful uh, charm (laughs) weapon possibly of destruction in the world uh, to use for your studies. But, like, if you wanted to, you could just wreak ultimate havoc. I mean, if any of the followers of Voldemort had a time turner, they could just turn back and be like, hey, don't go in that Potter house. That baby's going to kill you. And be like, oh, crap. All right. <laughs> I'll 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 do this from, like, the outside or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so time travel is a problem in a story. It means that no matter what happens... It can be undone. It lowers the stakes. It removes the consequences of anyone's actions. And uh, you just sort of have to take it at face value of however they decide to use it. Let's just assume they couldn't fix everything else. Because realistically, in a world where time travel is possible, everyone could always fix all their problems all all the time. time. And then also create more problems because the more you mess with time, the more it starts getting. Yeah, it gets confusing and everything just unravels. Yeah, that's why I said the last time I watched the movie that it is impossible. um, Even if we, if magic, if if we, if our science suddenly created that, that we could do that, it would be impossible because like. Even telling the future is impossible. Like, if you told the future and said, you'll be late for school tomorrow, <laughs> and then you weren't late for school. Yeah, then that means your future was wrong. So you are, you're corrupting the timeline, and you are probably creating more problems and paradoxes than you are solving. But I guess they are instructed to only use it for school, and somehow... I would also imagine Hermione's time turner is probably limited to like a couple of hours. Um, and By the so way, I have one. <laughs> you do have one, which I, I found at a comic convention in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Uh, and it looks just like the one from the movie. It's really cool. It turns and everything. So, um, it even has a little poem. I also mentioned to you, uh, or, to your, or to your mom rather, uh, I bought that for you, but I couldn't give it to you. Because you had not learned about the time turner yet in the book. Oh. So I had to wait until uh, you had gotten to that point. Because if I said, hey, here's a time turner. And you said, what's that? I'd be like, I can't tell you. <laughs> then it would have spoiled the book for you. So, uh, so yeah, I think that's a pretty cool thing. Though. Yeah, I like plus it. it has a poem on it. And it basically explains I can go back in time. Yeah. So uh, perhaps Hermione's time turner is limited to a couple of hours. Perhaps maybe her time turner only works at the grounds of Hogwarts. Uh, For instance, let's say you've got a time turner and you're in a car crash and someone dies. You could just go whip, whip, turn it back and save everybody. So this can't be a common thing. They can't use it a lot. I would say in the next four books, 
if anyone had a time turner, it would ruin the stories because a lot of really high stakes things take place. Uh, people live and die by their, their decisions. And if they could just get a constant do over, it's like when you and me play Mario and mm-hmm. we have that one button program that lets you jump back yeah. to a save point. Uh, when I was a kid and Mario was new, you if you wanted to beat the game, you had to play for eight hours straight. And if you if you lost your lives, you started over at the beginning. And what we're doing now when we play the uh, emulated version of Super Mario Brothers with a save point feature on a computer. It's really helpful. It's super helpful, but it makes none of your mistakes have any consequences. Every time you use your last life and fall off the edge of into a pit, you just hit a button and go back. That That's a time turner. So not that you're experiencing it this way, but when I got to the end of Mario, and I never beat it as a child, but I got near the end, that felt like a huge accomplishment uh, because I had died literally thousands and thousands of times over the course of several years to get to that point. When you and me play it with the time turner feature, (laughs) it took us, you know, a few hours to beat the game because every mistake you made could be undone. So if you were telling someone the story of how you beat Super Mario Brothers, do you think my version's more interesting or your version? Yours. Exactly. Mine's got... Uh, trial and error like, and 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 difficulty and I was so close to the end and then right when I was about to get to the finish I fell off the cliff exactly and that's what that happened and so there's suspense there's high stakes and a time turner version of that story has no stakes it's like yeah, I messed up but I tried it again a hundred times and eventually I got it uh, but I never really had to you could actually do it without the time turner feature if you just didn't use it correct and what I'm saying is it's too tempting to use it. Uh-huh. So if you had a time turner in real life, you know, maybe you mess up your uh, dinner. You would just flip back a half hour and try again. Like you, little stuff. You would start trying to fix little things. Maybe you got or, embarrassed. Or maybe like if um, you accidentally like made a humongous line on your paper that you couldn't undo with a marker or something. Yeah, little bitty stuff you might start trying to fix. And then you have trivialized the power of the tool that you have uh, where you're just trying to make your life problem free. But I believe you would create more problems. So so let's just assume that in this wizarding world, they have not handed Hermione the keys to this ultimate power and that perhaps it has some restrictions. So after that large uh, tangent on time travel and how it can ruin stories. Let's (laughs) get back to where we were. Harry Potter. Back to Harry Potter. Uh, Dumbledore mentions, I think, uh, what does he say, two or three turns ought to do it. Uh, And Harry's like, what what does three turns mean? So she says, yeah, I've got a time turner. That's how I've been getting to my classes. Something else to keep in mind, just because you were able to be in two places at once uh, with the time turner, you know, your original self is taking divination and your time traveled self is taking muggle studies. Uh, there's two Hermione's at any given time. Yeah. And you could just like um, the teacher could be like, OK, you need to take this note to professor whatever. And Hermione's in your class right then. Yeah. And then Hermione's in the class. You have to take the note. To and that's a paradox. You can't do that. So 
But uh, what it doesn't explain away, though, is that Hermione still has to experience all of this time. So whereas our days are 24 hours and we might spend 16 of them awake and eight asleep, Hermione might be experiencing, you know, 36 hour days where she's awake for 30 hours straight because she's using time travel so much. This is why she's so worn out. But it also means she's older than everybody else. She's experienced more time than everybody else. You know what I mean? No, not really. Every time she travels back and relives an hour, it's not like... She gets younger again? No, yeah, exactly. She's still... Her personal timeline is moving forward. So if she rewound it a month, she'd be a month older than the rest of us by the time she caught back up to her original spot. If you were able to go back a year or something... Mm -hmm. That um to take back something you said or something, mm-hmm. then she would be a year older than everybody else. Exactly. And that is now to take a further time travel tangent. And just because I want you to know about this, that is a real phenomenon that human beings have experienced because uh, time occurs at a different rate on Earth than it does in space, it's affected by gravity, and astronauts in orbit around Earth in the space station. That's right. I, they I, experience time at a slightly, I mean, it's by the millisecond. Uh, but if you stay in orbit for, let's say, two years, when you get back on Earth, you may be three seconds older, three seconds younger than everyone else on the planet. But you can further that uh, effect by traveling at near the speed of light, which is currently impossible by our technology, possibly impossible, period. Nobody knows yet. But if you could travel at the speed of light, you would experience time at such a different rate that let's say you looped the earth going the speed of light when you, for you, maybe only a few days pass. When you get back on the earth, it could be 500 years in the future. Wow. Scientifically, that's probably true. You would be 500 years You would be the same age. Yeah, you would be the same age, which means if we were ever able to travel that fast, then that means technically forward time travel is possible because you would still be the same you. You couldn't go back, and it's not like you're jumping through a magical portal. But you are able to get so much further in the future than you ever would be able to live that it's kind of like traveling forward in time. Mm. But faster or, or close to light speed travel is likely an impossibility. Yeah, so, I, I rem- um, once you said you would be older or younger, I remembered that um, we learned in class or I saw it on the internet or something that on Mars or Jupiter or something, Mm -hmm. or maybe even just in Antarctica or something. (laughs) I'm not really sure, but it said that um, 40 Earth days would be like five years. That's a different phenomenon. What that's talking about is how long it takes those planets to travel around our sun. We call one trip around the sun a year, And on Earth, that takes 365 days. And on other planets, it takes a different amount of time. Like on 
um, Pluto or something, that would be really on Pluto. I think it's like 400 years. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so far out that we can, we barely even know it's there, but, uh, but what that is referring to is just how we measure time. It doesn't change the amount of time you experience. It just changes what we call a year. So, uh, now one thing that is also different is there's different gravity on those planets too. So if you weigh 50 pounds on earth, you might weigh 500 tons on Jupiter or something. I remember that one. And that would be real. You would actually weigh that much and you would not be able to move your body. You would be crushed under the weight of the pressure of the, you know, the atmosphere. So now that we've taken four or five tangents about time travel and space travel, <laughs> let's, and, get back uh, to Harry Potter. let's talk a little bit about Harry Potter and finish out this final uh, episode for book three. Yes. Please. Uh, so where were we? Oh, yes. So Harry has explained what a time turner is and that Hermione's got one. Um, and, and, and Dumbledore is in on it. And says, you know, why don't you uh, give it a couple of turns and go back? Also, no, this is not another tangent. This is just a, a fact from the book that uh, when, oh, wait, we haven't heard this conversation yet, have we? When Fudge and Snape and uh, Dumbledore are in, I think they're in Hagrid's office, in Hagrid's house. I don't remember if this is just about to happen or if it's already happened. But at some point, Snape and Fudge are talking to uh, Dumbledore. I think this is about to happen. Let me let me let me pause this. I'll come back to it. Um, so anyway, uh, Dumbledore said they'd have uh, to save. They would also, if they completed their mission, they would save more than one innocent life. Who's the other innocent life he's talking about? Buckbeak, exactly. So uh, they can save Sirius Black. They can save Buckbeak, two people who are two two life forms that have done nothing wrong. And uh, and Sirius is currently locked up in Flitwick's office. Buckbeak is chained up at Hagrid's cabin. Uh, and so they zip back into the past. They see everything you know rewinding around them. They see themselves going to Hagrid's cabin under the invisibility cloak earlier that night. And so they want to run to the forbidden forest, uh, on the other side of Hagrid's cabin as to not be seen by their own selves. Yeah. At this point, a, uh, sharp eyed reader would remember that when they originally did that, they heard two sets of footprints and then they heard a door slam, but they didn't see anybody. Who was that? The first time Harry and Hermione went to Hagrid's cabin and they heard the axe come down and they, you know, they assume Buckbeak's dead. They were sneaking through the corridor and they waited until they only heard two more sets of footprints running. So they knew the coast was clear. Those two sets of footprints. We don't know who it was. It was them from the future. Um, okay. Because as we will soon see. They are living the at least the second pass of these events. All of the future stuff is, is, is already happening it, the first time through in the book. Yeah, it's basically like they just took that part of the movie, um, like they took that part of the movie and just 
played it again, but at a different point of view. And what it means, though, is that as we read, as the reader reads this book for the first time, we are actually reading at least the second time through of these events. Because both versions of Harry and Hermione, we now realize, were always in the, the story that we were reading. Harry and Hermione's footprints are heard by the first Harry and Hermione, which means they're already in the loop. So there's a version of this book that happens before the one that we're reading, and then the, where Buckbeak dies, where Sirius dies. And then the one before that, and then one before that. Well, it's got to start somewhere. And so I would imagine, let's say it's at least one time through. So it's very confusing, I know, but but it's an interesting uh, time travel uh, yeah, I thought about storyline. that before. So, yeah, so they, they heard themselves, and uh, they see themselves entering Hagrid's cabin, and uh, they go and find uh, Buckbeak. Fudge, McNair, Dumbledore, um, and what am I trying to say here? Uh, they're all in the cabin, right? And, um, and McNair. Yeah, and yeah, and the and the executioner. Um, so let's see, what do they do at this point in the movie? They set Buckbeak free. Yeah, they wait until they're all in. Yeah, they have to wait until they're all inside, so they see that Buckbeak is there. Yeah, they do free Buckbeak at this point. Um, they set Buckbeak free and they head into the Forbidden Forest, and then they see their whole group of people earlier where Sirius is the dog and he catches Ron and tries to drag him into the hole under the willow. Uh, but they don't interfere with any of this, right? Yeah, they can't. It, at this point, they could just jump out and go, hey, everybody, uh, don't go in there. Turns out Sirius is good. Um, everybody calm down. Uh, yes, I know we're two different Harry and Hermione's and there's <laughs> there's two Harry and Hermione's there. Don't worry about that. This is totally normal. <laughs> Uh, But do not go in the Shrieking Shack. Everything's fine. Oh, and Scabbers is Peter Pettigrew. (laughs) And he's bad. That would have solved probably all these problems, even if not everybody believed them, right? Uh Uh-huh. They don't do that. They just watch. They probably should do that. So they let all the stuff that happens at the Shrieking Shack, they let it it happen. Uh, And so then they see Lupin enter the tree, and then they see Snape enter. And so they're like, okay, everyone who's going to go be involved in that event is in there. We're safe to to go. Hermione wonders why the Dementors didn't take Sirius earlier, and Harry says that someone must have conjured a real Patronus. Who does Harry think it was? His dad. He does not explain how that would be possible. Is it the ghost of his dad? Is his dad somehow alive? But he's got some evidence to think it's his dad, and what was that? Because it was a stag. Yeah, he said, my dad was the stag, and I saw a big stag. It's got to be my dad, right? <laughs> yeah, you would think. Hermione doesn't say, Harry, that's dumb. Your dad's dead. Like, you, what? No. She keep, But she does keep saying that, Harry, how is that possible? Your dad's, he's like, dead, I know. But Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess she does. <laughs> but it's like, I would, I don't know. I'd force the issue. I'd be like, look, whatever you think is happening is stupid. You stop <laughs> thinking that. <laughs> So they see themselves coming out of the Whomping Willow. They see all the other events that happen that night. And since Lupin uh, will head into the forest as a werewolf, they kind of get out of the way because they know that there's about to be a werewolf in the forest. Also, um, the other time earlier in the book, I just remembered this. 
at least it's in the movie when um when um what am I trying to say? Sirius and Lupin are fighting as dog and werewolf. Mm-hmm. Um, th- when they say they think they hear a human howling, um, yeah, that's Hermione. That's Hermione. That's that's definitely in the movie. I don't know if that's in the book. Uh, but again, that's another thing telling us that we're at least on the second time through of these time travel events, and now we're on the third time at least. Uh, so he sees the Dementors. At this point, Harry and Hermione are just watching everything happen. I don't know what their plan is to save anyone. I don't think they have a plan. Well, they've saved Buckbeak, at least for now, but they've they've not really made any actions that would save Sirius or keep anything else bad from happening. He sees the Dementors in the lake, and he runs over to see who conjured that Patronus. No one shows up. He's like, where's my dad? He sees himself being attacked by the Dementors. They're about to perform the Dementors' kiss. Yeah, he's like, okay, he'll be here. Um, whoever did it will be here any second. We just gotta wait. And and nobody shows up. So he's like. So what does he do? So he just ends up doing it himself. He's like, expecto Patronus. Giant Patronus appears. It's a stag. Harry realizes, oh, palms. I get that. it. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I guess it. I got that from my dad. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Whatever. So again, it's another thing that tells us this is at least the third time through, <laughs> and we were watching the second time through earlier because yeah, he was always there. Yeah, but they never heard his voice because it was so loud. And another thing to point out here, they only heard what they thought was Buckbeak being killed. They didn't see it, which means you can't really ex- explain. They could have closed yeah. the time loop. And everything would have been okay. They didn't know that. They could have, though, because the other Harry and Hermione from the future were already saving Buckbeak. They were already saving Sirius. They were already saving everybody. So because they do not know to stop this time loop and just stop going back in time and fixing things that have already been fixed, that kind of implies that their time loop goes on forever. That's what the yeah. That's why I'm saying you can't ever do time travel ever. At least in this circumstance, until like another time traveler shows up and says, "Guys, <laughs> this has all been handled. You it, don't need to go back anymore." It's been done a thousand million times. It, it could literally have been done infinity times. Yeah, they they could be the nine hundred millionth iteration <laughs> of these events, okay. and they would never know. And it would just happen forever and ever and ever. This is. As a sci-fi fan and as a fantasy fan, this is a very difficult story to tell with these time travel rules. Also, if time travel is possible in our world, like right now, Uh and we just don't know it, Uh you and me could be like the 6,000th of ourselves. I don't know why we would be recording this podcast 6,000 times. I don't think (laughs) it's going to go so bad that it needs to be fixed, but I guess we'll know soon enough. We've only got about 10 minutes to go, so... (laughs) If, if things take a real dive, then yes, maybe we'll consider time travel uh, <laughs> as, as a way to fix it. So uh, anyway, they uh, he realizes that he's he's got the prongs in him. He's uh, he's he's producing a stag Patronus and that he is maybe doesn't realize it yet, but uncommonly powerful for a young wizard to produce such a powerful Patronus. Yeah, I, I, I keep talking about that to mommy on the way for um, on the way to school. And it's probably that she doesn't give you a lot of information about it because it deals with events from future books. Great. Uh, but anyway, uh, they wait again. 
and they see McNair go out of the castle uh, to get the Dementors. So they hop on Buckbeak's back and they fly to the window of Flitwick's office where Sirius is being held. Hermione does an Alohomora, opens the door. I thought I think it was Bombarda. In the movie, it was because uh, she blows up the wall. I don't think she does it in the in the book. Um, then they fly off with Sirius. Everybody on Buckbeak back uh, flies off. So it's uh, the final chapter, chapter twenty two. Al post again. Uh, Harry and Hermione have only got 10 minutes to get back to the hospital wing without being seen. Fudge and Snape are walking through the corridor and talking. Uh, Harry and Hermione wait until they have passed and then they continue. Uh, and they're a little bit stopped by Peeves. They finally get to the hospital wing and Dumbledore leaves the room as he sees them coming. He asks them if they've managed their task. Yeah, they they actually see the other... um The other of themselves um, being sent off by Dumbledore. And then they're like, okay, we're here. That happened. We saved everybody in like one second. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. As far as time is concerned, they were only gone for a a half a second and they're already back. (laughs) Now, this is an interesting part uh, in contrast to the book and the movie. In the book, Dumbledore says, have you managed your task? And they say yes. And he walks off and locks them in the room. In the movie... They say, uh, we did it. And, and he says, did what? Good night. And then walks away. <laughs> J.K. Rowling has admitted that that was a better line in the movie than she wrote in the book. And I think she's right. I think that is much more of Dumbledore's attitude of, I know what's going on. Don't worry about me. I'm, you know, I'm. I'm weird old dude. <laughs> I'm weird old dude, but I'm super cool. And uh, I'm, uh, I know, you know, I know, I know what's going down. You I'm don't the have most to... powerful wizard in the universe, and I'm good at keeping secrets. I'm all about secrets. So, uh, <laughs> and we'll learn as as more and more books happen that Dumbledore is full of secrets. So, uh, but I do, I do like that. I like when he says, "Did what? Good night." <laughs> so uh, they, he locks him in there, as if they had been in, in there, you know, like resting all the whole time. The the thing is, I actually just realized that. Dumbledore didn't really have to send the other hearing Hermione off again because they had already fixed. Correct. And the only reason he had to do that is because otherwise the people reading this book would not know what happened. (laughs) So there is the reality of the fact that humans have to read and understand this book, which means we had to at least see a a earlier version and a later version of this time travel scenario to it's too confusing uh, th- believe me time travel is a problem you gotta you really should if you're writing a fantasy story or a sci-fi story you should try to keep the rules as simple as possible or use it as sparingly as possible which is why time travel will not appear again in the harry potter series oh thank god because it would just make things too easy. I mean, um, it's cool, but... It's cool to do it once, one and done. And then, uh, you know, let's pretend that time turners were illegal the day after this. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, Dumbledore locks them in. Madame Pomfrey comes in to take care of them, and they hear people shouting. Uh, people have realized that Sirius has escaped. Fudge, Snape, and Dumbledore enter. This is what I was thinking of. Snape starts accusing Harry of being involved in in the uh, escape in front of Fudge. And Dumbledore says Harry and Hermione have been locked in there for at least the last 10 minutes. 
and he says, uh, you know, unless you're implying that they can be in two places at once. And then Snape shuts up. He's like, oh. I think that means Snape knows about the time turner. Yeah. Because Fudge definitely does. Uh Because the Ministry of Magic has to approve time turner use. But Fudge is not the brightest guy in the world. So and Snape is very clever. Uh-huh. So I think Dumbledore is saying, "Hey, don't talk about the time turner in front of Fudge <laughs> or he's going to realize that Hermione did have something to do with this. Shut up. I'll explain <laughs> it later." You know? Um, it's not obvious in the book, but kind of in the subtext, I think that is what he's saying. Like, "Chill out. Ixnay on the I'm Turner Tay." It's fine. <laughs> Wait, what does that even mean? That's pig Latin. So anyway, <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Ron wakes up and they explain things to Ron and, and here I think is why I think practically they left Ron out of this part of the book because four people wouldn't fit on Buckbeak's back. (laughs) That's possibly one of the reasons. And because there was a lot going on, uh, and having three characters running around discovering this these time travel problems. Too much. It might have just been too much for the reader to keep up with. So yeah. it was good to keep Ron at bay. Also, once um, they they got back t- um, to the um, to the hospital wing. Uh huh. Um, the other the other them. The one that was being sent off. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um. It's hard, it's hard to. Same no, I know what you're saying. Other. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. So, anyways, uh, when the other of them was going was being sent off, Her- um, the current Harry and Hermione that is in this book right now, mm-hmm. um, they um are at a different place in the hospital wing, and he's like, "But you, you were right there." Yeah, and exactly. Then you were right there. He's like, oh, oh, seriously, Ron, how could you be in two places at once? And then I think later they explain. Of course, they eventually tell him or he'd lose his mind. <laughs> at some point, he's got to, uh, you he, know. He'd be fretting over, the, he would have He would have been fretting over that for the rest of his life. And where they might enjoy giving him a little bit of a hard time, I doubt they would let him be that confused for that long. So, so there you go. Um, so they explain everything to Ron. Uh, Lupin. Well, let's see. What order is this happening? Lupin quits. They think Lupin's been fired, but he's quit. And it's because Snape has told everyone that he's a werewolf. Uh, so in this in this book, Snape is less of an ally than he has been in the past or will be in the future. What's an ally? A friend. Um, a Someone helping you out. He really is. Uh, he's constantly exacting vengeance on Lupin. He doesn't have to tell anyone that Lupin's a werewolf. He hasn't killed anybody. He hasn't hurt anybody. Except for Ron. No, the dog hurt. Yeah, serious yeah. hurt Ron. Lupin hasn't hurt anybody. He's a great teacher. Uh, but he's got the job that Snape wants, and Snape already hates him, so Snape tells everybody he's a werewolf. And obviously, once the parents start finding out they have a werewolf for a teacher... So I guess he tell. So I guess in his personality, he would tell you, like... Lupin's a werewolf. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, exactly. So uh, so he's got to quit. He's got to leave before they fire him, basically. I don't think Dumbledore would fire him, but the, the parents would demand it. Um, something else to keep in mind here 
is how the wizarding world perceives werewolves in general. Because when Ron finds out, he says, get away from me, you werewolf. But he knows it's Lupin. So even if it's someone you like, werewolves must be so hated that even if you find out it's a friend, you turn on them. Right? Yeah. That's a bad deal for him. That means his life has been probably very alone, very isolated, especially because of what happened to his three best friends. As far as he knew, you know, one of his friends died for sure. Mm-hmm. One of them seemed to be dead. but And the other one went to jail. Even. Yeah, and the other one went to jail for no reason, and that was crazy. Yeah, so uh, he's a little crazy. He gets he's, his mind back. Yeah. I think the longer he is away from the Dementors, the more his mind starts to reappear. Because you will now see a new version of Sirius in books to come where he is much more calm and collected and in control of himself. He's going to be mentioned in more more books? Sirius isn't gone forever. Huh. He's just in hiding at the end of this one. Huh. So, well, uh, well, that's right. He does appear someplace in book four. So, well... He does. Not in book four. Oh, that's right. Yeah? When I said earlier in the next book, I was talking about book five, which is uh, Order, Order of the of Phoenix, Phoenix, which is my favorite movie. I don't know if it's my favorite book, but it's my favorite movie until the end. um, That's not true. Anyway, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Mommy said that um, the book actually is better than that movie. Probably, yes. Because it actually lets you imagine more stuff. Well, it's also so long that it would be like three or four movies if they put everything in. So, anywho... uh, where were we? Um, ah, so Dumbledore comes in as Lupin is packing up his stuff. Lupin gives Harry back his invisibility cloak, and he says, I'm not your teacher anymore, Harry, so I'm not going to keep this from you, and he gives him the Marauder's Map. That will probably come in handy in the future, right? Really? Yeah, he gives it back to him. Hmm. Um, I do not remember that. Uh, it's, even in the movie, he does that. He does the mischief, mischief managed folds it up and gives it to Harry. He says, I'm not your teacher anymore. I thought he did the mischief manage and put it in his suitcase. Nope. He gives it back to Harry because Harry is going to need that oh, in the future. Right. He said, I, I, um, I basically, he says, I'm not your teacher. I'm not responsible for <laughs> I, you. So that's what I just said, I, I, I'm going to add something else. Okay, go ahead. I have no guilt on giving this to you. Sure. Okay. So <laughs> Dumbledore shows up as Lupin's heading out. Harry tells Professor uh, Dumbledore about Professor Trelawney's prediction. Dumbledore says that Pettigrew now owes Harry his life. So I wonder if that means if they ever meet again, that Pettigrew will uh, be nice, maybe? I don't know. And also, Snape never does get nice in any of the book series. (laughs) You don't know what happens to Snape. Mommy told me. I'm sure Mommy is... Being vague on purpose. Uh, yeah, I don't want to say anything else. So, um, <laughs> that's got my that's got my brain going. There's things I want to say that I'm definitely not going to say. We are nowhere near. We are nowhere near the episodes where where what I want to talk about is going to be revealed. So, so anywho, um, everybody uh, has passed their exams. Hermione makes some decisions about school. She decides not to take 
muggle studies or div- divination or use the time turner anymore because she's exhausted. <laughs> yeah, you would think. But what is interesting about her choices of what classes to drop? Hermione has muggle parents. Yes. She was raised in a muggle house. First 11 years of her life. Wouldn't you think muggle studies would be the absolute easiest class in the world for her? Yes. Not only has she lived a muggle life, but she's also had 11 years. Well, not 11 years. She's had 10. uh, No, not of school uh, from ages five to 11. So she's had five or six years of muggle school where she's learned possibly many of the major points of history that they're discussing in muggle studies. This should be a shoe in for her and Harry for that matter. Uh, Yeah. So she drops what I would assume is her easiest class. It might be that Muggle Studies doesn't look as good on your school record. Maybe it's not as important of a class. Or maybe she doesn't really like easy classes. That is a very good point. Hermione likes to be challenged and she likes to do a lot of homework. And Muggle Studies might be so easy that she's like, this is boring, right? Yeah. Harry might like it because it's easy and he's not doesn't like to study a lot. Yeah, so. he's like, oh, come on. And Snape gave him the two rolls of parchment for homework. And he copies Hermione's homework sometimes. So, you know, he yeah. probably wants an easy class. Um, she also drops divination, which obviously she thinks is a worthless uh, use of her time and that Professor Trelawney is an idiot. So, <laughs> uh, But at this point, we now know for certain that even though Professor Trelawney is not great at teaching divination. She's actually sometimes actually making a... Real prediction. Yes, she at least has the power of divination, though. Also, it seems she can't control it. Yeah, because it's. Um, I don't know if we mentioned mentioned it yet, but Professor Trelawney predicts a student's death every year. This time, though, a lot of what she said came true, but only the things that she said that she could not remember. So that's something important to keep in mind for Professor Trelawney's future. We're going to see her again. She wasn't fired, so she's still a teacher. Hmm. Um, I guess that's true. Ron asks Harry if he would like to come to the Quidditch World Cup over the summer. Harry says, sure thing, bud. Sounds like fun. And uh, during the ride back on the Hogwarts Express, an owl shows up, apparently chasing the Hogwarts Express. And it's got a message from Sirius. Uh, He tells him what? That... Um, he and Buckbeak are doing good. Um, but they're hiding. But they're hiding, yeah. yeah. And he also says that he was the one that sent the firebolt, which we all sort of assumed. Uh, but he actually turns out he did it, you know, out of love instead of out of trying to kill Harry. <laughs> uh, he also gives him written permission as his godfather to do what? Go to Hogsmeade next year. So this is very interesting. You would imagine... If everyone thought Sirius was guilty, they would be like, holy crap, you got a letter from a murderer. <laughs> we're we're absolutely not going to, you know, first of all, we're not going to count this as permission to go to Hogsmeade. Yeah, Second of all, where'd you get this letter from? Because we got to find that murderer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you could just say, um, and, I, um, and I was chasing the Hogwarts Express. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh so there's so, and you have to put your name and initials of who signed that form. So 
maybe he only gave it to the three or four people who believed that Sirius was innocent. Yeah, that's my thought too. Um, I what I honestly believe is that because McGonagall is the one who collects the forms. And since McGonagall is a trusted friend of Dumbledore, yeah, I would say that she probably Dumbledore probably said, "Hey, by the way, uh, Sirius is innocent," and he wrote this letter for Harry to go. Between you and me, let's go ahead and call that good enough, right? Yeah, because he's a godfather, so he's a guardian. Yeah, that 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 that's kind of the, the impression I get is that uh, if you know. Snape asked, uh, they'd be like, just shut up, Snape. Like, <laughs> let the kid go to the village. Come on. We got stories to tell there anyway. We need him to be there. So, so, uh, he also says Ron can do what with the, uh, owl that he sent? He can keep him. Because he's lost his pet. Yeah. So now he's got a new pet. I believe this is Pigwidgeon, right? Yeah, that's Pigwidgeon. So, you know, he loses a murderous rat and he gains a kind of a derpy owl that, uh, isn't very good at flying or delivering letters or doing anything. Still, he has he at least has a pet now. He's, he's got a very Ron-like pet. He's got the uh, the Ron to his Harry is a uh, pigwidgeon, I guess. And uh, when they get to the station, this is probably one of my favorite scenes in the whole series. They get to uh, King's Cross. The Dursley they're there are there to pick up Harry. Uncle Vernon says, "What's that letter, Potter?" And Harry tells him. It's from my godfather. He was his. He was my parents' best friend. He's a convicted murderer. <laughs> he's broken out of wizard prison and he's on the run. And he likes to keep in touch with me to make sure I'm happy. <laughs> and they're all like, <laughs> so that's Harry's way of threatening them, right? Yeah. To say, I got, I got a crazy person looking after me. <laughs> you better be on your best behavior. Otherwise, he's probably going to come here and torture you. I'm going to take you out. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm basically saying. So that that is uh, the end of book three, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. I would like to say thank you to our Patreon patrons. Please, if you would like to support this podcast, if you enjoy it, and if you want to see us complete the series and potentially make more beyond that through some means, I don't know, uh, please support us at... Patreon.com slash hijinksensue, H-I-J-I-N-K-S-E-N-S-U-E. So, uh, pledge a dollar, three dollars, five dollars, whatever a month. And uh, it will certainly go on to supporting uh, me and my endeavors to create things for a living. And then also uh, put a roof over Lily's head. What, what yes. did I do? No, uh, that's how I pay for this house is with oh. the things I make. You know? <laughs> um. I was going to say that I, I'm actually sort of glad that this book is over because we can finally get on to book four and maybe in like a month or two I can actually start reading book five. Yeah, you've been on hiatus from the reading for a while, so we've got to get through these. Uh, I'd also like to say thank you to the band Harry and the Potters for the use of their song, This Book is So Awesome, as our theme song. And uh, you can Google Harry and the Potters Bandcamp to find more information about that. Thank you to all of our new listeners from the UK. I see that Potter and Daughter is still on the iTunes Top 100 UK podcast charts. The last time I looked, I think it was around 46. And uh, that is just amazing. I can't believe it. Uh, I, I mean, even right in the middle is 
that's really good. It, it blows my mind. Uh, I, I hope people are enjoying this, and I certainly enjoy making it. I think you do too, right? Yeah. Okay. So uh, is that everything? I talked about the song. I talked about Patreon. I said thank you. I feel like that's everything, right? No. Oh, I got one more. If you have a question for us, we may do a question and answer episode at the end of this whole series. Please feel free to email it to podcast at hijinksensue.com, H-I-J-I-N-K-S-E-N-S-U-E, or give us a comment in the show notes at podcast.hijinksensue.com. Click on Potter and Daughter, and you'll find the uh, episode for uh, the show notes for this episode, and you can leave us a comment there, and I'll be happy to respond. Me too. Well... Possibly. I'll respond for you. I don't eh. <laughs> let you go on that part of the internet. But uh, for my for Potter and Daughter, my name is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. What do you think? Good episode? Yeah, great episode. All right, high five. Yeah. Nope, we didn't do it. There we go. We did it. Woo! This book is so awesome.